This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Evening Cherries fans and welcome to this special interview here on Up the Cherries in All Departments. Now before I welcome on my special guest, here's a little bit about our sponsors, Dental on the Banks. Find out what they can do for you, visit dentalonthebanks.co.uk. Now, my special guest today is a former Cherries chairman. As a lifelong supporter of the club, he actually was the owner from 2009 all the way to 2013. We're going to find out in his own words, his story. It is a pleasure to welcome onto Up the Cherries in all departments, Eddie Mitchell. Evening, Eddie. How are you? Um, yeah, evening. Yeah, fine, thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us on this special show. Um, so, of course, you are a local lad um, and you grew up supporting the football club. What were your earliest memories of AFC Bournemouth? Well, I was, I was born in Boscombe Hospital, which was, you know, very near the ground. Um, raised in Boscombe for a couple of years and then moved to Parkstone. And I suppose from the age of about six or seven um 
started playing football quite a lot in the park, local parks and got into football and probably noticed Bournemouth as a local club to us and the one that I was obviously going to support from about that age, really. I remember back in those days, there used to be a pink paper that used to come out every Saturday after the results had come out and all the scores were in it. And I suppose my first port call was to look and see how Bournemouth got on. Um, I was a Wolves supporter at the time as well. So it'd be Bournemouth, then Wolves and yeah. How did supporting Wolves come about? Don't know. They played in the 69 FA Cup against Forest, I think. And um, I think maybe that was one of the first televised games I managed to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Sorry, not 69, 59. And I think that was one of the first games I got to watch, yeah. From an early age, which players stood out for you? Um, Which, you know, what was your favourite player for Bournemouth at the time? Oh, going back, I, you know, it, I suppose I looked at the club and we recognised names from about when like Ted McDougall was about. I didn't really get into the playing side, you know, interested in the players themselves until such time as about then when it became popular. But I think from memory, I went to the club and watched it from, I think, where the West Stand is now was the supporters' end when I was probably 12. So that would have been, you know, 66, something like that. But I don't know, I can't really remember the players. I think Tepic Dougal was the first one and Phil Bowyer. And, you know, that's the time when I was really interested in the players. And then I suppose manager-wise, it was when Harry came along and made a name for himself. And, um, you know, that's when I really sort of followed the individuals at the club. It was before that, it was just reading about it on the back page of the Echo or um, looking at the results each week and going to the odd game when I could afford it. And of course, you've got involved into the club Um during some of our more troubled times, um, there was multiple winding up petitions. What were the first things that you had to tackle? First thing I had to tackle was cleaning the road sign from yellow, uh, from black to yellow, where it had Bournemouth Football Club at an arrow pointing to it. That was my very first job. Um, and I did that the first Sunday morning. I got the keys. Um, and after that, it was just natural things just came up and I ploughed through them. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a great deal of finance. I had a lot of assets, but not cash. So it was not easy to just pay um, things. So we had to be inventive, um, strict. And I, you know, I was turning over probably... 25, 30 million pounds a year when I actually bought the club. And so that was a lot of contractors that worked for me um, and had done for many years. And I obviously had started a lot of businesses, um, you know, where one man band, so to speak, came to work for me and then employed more people to keep up with me. So I think probably they contributed between them getting on for a quarter of a million pounds. 
um, and got nothing for it really. I just um, kept my work and they were pleased to be associated with it and they helped tremendously with that. Um, but we just, every time something came up, I found a way to get past it, which I've done in my life. <laughs> when you did take over the club, um, you know, of course, you, you, like we mentioned, you're a fan. I'm sure that had an added impetus, but the ground and the su surrounding area was a bit of a mess at the time, wasn't it? Um, so, you know, what yeah. else did you do in those early days? Well, I think, first of all, the, the, the club's very spiritual. I can't say the word, but it's spiritual. spiritual. You yeah. might be <laughs> spiritual. Yeah, you sort of get. I, for some reason, I knew I was going to be involved in that club from a very early age in my life. I don't know why, but I just inside me, I knew it, and I had the chance the previous year. Um, but I had several phone calls from various people, and it just didn't seem right. And I was um, in my third year at Dorchester Town doing my apprenticeship as a um, chairman and um, but I, I just knew the time would come and the, the following year when I did get involved it was just um, it was obvious to me that it was a club which had been I'm not allowed to swear on this I suppose so it'd been uh, go over. for it go for no, it Eddie. It'd, it'd been had over by um, a lot of people at the top, and I, you know, and that includes one or two that's still there now. Um, it was a bit farcical, really. People were, they just were jockeying for positions to be able to sort of have bragging rights all the time. And it was, it was pretty obvious to me that I had to act on my own pretty much, not as a board, although we used to have board meetings regularly. I just ended up doing what I wanted to do because I had the majority share or I had the option to buy a majority share. Um, and the rest of the board knew that. And I just got on with the way I've always done things on my own. It was a mess. There was a lot of obligations to the local authority that hadn't been fulfilled. The East Stand was um, pretty derelict except for one part. Uh, obviously, there was no fourth stand, which I was determined to leave a mark and get the fourth stand. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was a mess. So I'd spent my working life from the age of about 20 creating environments for people to move into by building houses and making them nicer than the, the builders next door. So they bought mine. And um, it came as natural to me really to start tidying the place up and as we got the money in you know I spent it on the ground because I felt that it would be easier to attract players to an, you know somewhere that's quite special easy to attract investment and easy to attract supporters um, so I went about my business and got my head down one thing that both myself and Matt, who co-hosts this channel as well, um, have been, been discussing is that you didn't really get much credit for putting the club on a good financial footing. Um, and 
how difficult was it to turn around a club that had been in so much turmoil? So we've had the Winter Gardens. We, of course, we had minus 17. How difficult was it to turn that club into something that was on a good financial footing? How difficult? Well, I think it was really easy. I wouldn't change a day of, the, you know, it, it was a worry at the time, but it's um, an enjoyable worry. It's a challenge, I suppose, rather than a worry. And I like challenges. Um, I haven't ha- had credit for what I've done, um, but I don't really want it. Um, I've been written out of the club's history by the hierarchy there now. Um and I think it's pretty poison to mention my name at the club. I totally banned from the club. Um, and I've been from two months after I sold my shares um, for reasons unbeknown to me, really. And I think probably because I speak my mind and get on with things that I think the people there now running the club would were a little bit apprehensive of having me around but would you agree that your work really did start the success that we we're enjoying to this day in the premier league i think it it did but it, i didn't do it alone I, I i worked alone but there was um, an awful lot of support from the supporters mm-hmm. um from friends that i had at the club friends that i made at the club um, and I think, you know, the club's supporters and other people that are involved with the club are really good and, and pulled their weight as well. So I just pulled my weight and led the way. And I'm not really one for complying with everything. I just usually see right from wrong and go down the right road if I can and, um, bulldoze my way through and that's really what I intended to do from day one and what I did in the four years I was there. Of course one man that you did appoint was a certain Eddie Howe um, and let's be fair he managed to perform a miracle for surviving that minus 17 season and retaining our place in the football league. Um, how was it that and Double question really here. How was it like working with Eddie and Jason? And could you tell at that point how good they would have, were going to be? I could tell from day one, really, after the first meeting I had with Eddie at the stadium, that I didn't really have to worry much about the playing side. Um, we had a bit of a Barney in one of the boxes there, and I could see that he was pretty much of my own making. Um, very determined, very single-minded, and I found him a pleasure to work with um, because it took all the pressure off of me. We were embargoed, so we couldn't really buy or sell players unless we cleared the embargo, which we couldn't at the time. Um, So the camaraderie with the players that was there was born, and it really really got us that first year's promotion. But... um, the only thing I could say about Eddie is that I like to lead from the front. And I think I've said this before, but he used to piss me off because he was the only one that would ever get there before me sometimes. And I 
like getting to work first before anybody else. So it, that's the only thing he really pissed me off doing. Is it true he used to turn up at 6am in the morning, first one in, last one out? I'm not so sure about the last one out because I was not always the last one out and I I don't really recall that. But I know for a fact that I used to get there very early in the morning um, and probably 30% of the time he would get there first before me and it got to a point where I started getting earlier and earlier so that I was first there. I don't know why it bugged me so much. Um, but that was the way it was. I, I don't know whether he felt the same but or he just enjoys starting early. But, yeah, it was pretty obvious that he was going places. And um, I think Jason compliments Eddie in a way. Um, and, yeah, uh, and I made a prediction then and I still make that prediction now that he'll be the England manager that wins the next World Cup. And do you know what? I've... I even said to Harry Redknapp recently, and I said about Eddie being the next England manager, and I believe it will happen. I believe Eddie Howe will get his chance as England manager um, because of the great work he's done, and he's still doing it at Newcastle. Yeah. Now, putting it on the other foot, if we hadn't have survived that season, so if we had gone down out of the football league, would this club have survived? Yeah, yeah, it, it would have survived. Yeah, if if I was still there, I mean, the, the, and and Eddie was there in that season, and it went down. I, it would have survived. Yeah, because we'd have come back up. But um, it was obvious to me that we weren't going to go down because of the, you know, the way that the players knitted together, and you know. We changed things for them. We went from the wheelie being ice bath to a proper ice bath. Mm-hmm. You know, got rid of the mould in the showers and put new showers in. And we, we just made it more of a nicer environment for them. Um, and, yeah, they enjoyed it. And I think that was probably my best year at the club. It was always the thing, you know, that we used to hear, you know, and it's, it's even in documentaries that if the club had dropped out of the Football League, the club would have folded. Um, but it's good to know that that wasn't the case. No, not if, well, it might have been if I, I'm not saying I was the only one, but if, if it had somebody with the determination that I had, um, it's got plenty of support to, to keep it going. I mean, it's difficult because of the, the stadium had been sold. Um, and really, all the assets in the club had been stripped out. There was one small piece of land which was still owned by the club, um, which, um, nevertheless, the person who owned it had a first charge on it. So, you know, it was the ex, no, sorry, the, the, the now chairman, um, so, yeah, it, it would have survived. Yeah, no, that's good because I think, I guess it was all media talk, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah, well, the media like, especially the Echo, like to, to see Bournemouth in distress at the time. They're a bit frightened too now, but because, um, you know, it's grown so much with the premiership status. But yeah, they, they did like to rubbish the club, especially when I was there.
What was your relationship like with Eddie Howe? Um, and, you know, was it a case that you could speak to him? And did he demand players or, or was he respectful that this is what the club can do at the moment, this moment in time? And Well, I, well, I never said no to him once in the, in the relationship that we had. Um, I feel um, that... We gave him the best we could. The relationship him, with him was um, on and off, um, usually through my fault. I tended to um, show my emotions too much and a couple of times visited the changing rooms and give my opinion. And I Eddie jacked him once and Jason after I had done that at Notts County. And we were 3-0 down at half-time. And I was a stinking headache. Um, so we fell out. But I sort of dodged the bullets for a couple of weeks. I didn't accept his resignation. And, you know, we made it up and got on. So, by and large, it was a really good relationship. But I used to sort of upset the apple cart a bit by getting over-enthusiastic. Thinking I was, I could do something when I couldn't. Fair enough. Um, of course, Brett Pittman was on fire for us. He was fantastic, scoring lots of goals. Um, he did eventually leave the club to go to Bristol City, um, and he was in great form before that. Was that a necessity at the time, or because of the financial issues, or was that a move that Brett did want? Well, Brett's always been my favourite player that was at the club. Um, although I thought all the boys that were there in the promotion from Division 2 were all really great lads but Brett's always been my favourite because of his goal scoring ability and his his swagger um, but we didn't need to sell him but it was very handy to sell him it was very handy for me because I could use that money to continue improving the ground that we got for him and not only that he was capable of going a bit further and we felt that it was a better move, you know, good move for him at the time. So I didn't want to stand in his way. Of course, there was that situation as well where Southampton tried to get hold of Eddie Howe. And mm -hmm. um, what was the truth in that? And how did that all pan out? Well, Katezi's secretary asked, well, put me through to Katezi. If you can remember the guy, he was at Southampton at the time, the chairman, I yeah. think, or something or other. Um, and he called me up and he asked if he could speak to Eddie. Um, and I gave it some thought and got back to him and said, yeah, you can. Um, I felt Eddie deserved the chance to move forward if he could, and it was a bigger club, and, you know, so I didn't stand in his way. Eddie went to see him as far as I'm aware. He told me he did, and he told me that he was offered the job. Um, so I thought, you know, great. Um, but Eddie turned it down. He told me he wasn't interested in it. So it was good for me to make that news. So I got it out there. And then I had um, a phone call from, well, I didn't. Yeah, I had a phone call from Katezi's secretary just to say that we were travelling to, we were playing Southampton and I wouldn't be welcome in the boardroom. Um, so 
I'd have to make other arrangements if I wanted to watch the game there. So I made other arrangements and booked a box, not knowing where the box was going to be. And um, when we got there, we went in the box. Um, and I didn't know where it was going to be, but it was right in the middle of the Southampton supporters' end. Mm. And um, somebody had recognised me and the people I was with and started jeering and what have you before the game. And um, so I reminded them that we were higher than them in the league and they took an offence to it and tried to get over the barriers and invade our box. So um, the security came and kept them away for the first half and then moved us to a box up the other end in the second half. I took the um, I took the initiative to go and say hello to Katezi in the boardroom at half-time and tapped on the door and asked if I could see him and he came to the door and we shook hands and he was fine. Um, but that's the story about that, really. Of course, Eddie did eventually leave to go to Burnley shortly after. Um, did you try and keep Eddie at the club? And what made him go to Burnley in particular? Well, it's another move. It was a move forward to the championship. Um, of course, I tried to keep him at the club. We didn't want to lose him. But um, at the time, you know, I wasn't really in a position to hold people back. I, I wasn't that experienced in, you know, managing football, although I'd done four years at Dorchester but you know I, I just felt if anybody was able to better themselves then I wouldn't stand in their way and I'd let them move on and obviously we would have reaped the reward anyway and try to invest that wisely so we ended up getting um, quite a bit of money for him and the, and the guys that followed him um, so it was convenient at the time and helped the club in, in that way um, I wished him well. We kept in touch, um, and I, at that time, I regarded him as a friend, and you know, often text him, wishing him well before the game, and and so on, like you do with people you know. And of course, um, you you had to search for a new manager, but you promoted within again, um, and appointed Lee Bradbury. Um, and under Lee Bradbury, we narrowly missed out reaching the playoff final. Um, we got beat by Huddersfield um, yeah. in the semis. Um, what was your reasoning behind appointing him and Fletcher's number two? Did you see something in them that you thought, right, OK, this is the natural transition from Eddie? Well, just just going to the Huddersfield game, it's one of the best games I've ever been to. I, <laughs> I watched it from behind the goal. Um and it was fantastic. And the only thing I didn't go along with is Lee Bradby told me after that the the referee said that if there was to be um, penalties, there wouldn't be a toss of coin because it, he had been advised by the Huddersfield um, security people or whatever that it was not um, correct to take it at where the Bournemouth supporters were behind the goal because it was not deemed safe. Um, so they'd have to be taken down to Huddersfield end, which is what happened. Um, that's another story, but I personally, me, I wouldn't have gone along with it. I would have made sure that was a coin. Um, but Lee was a very, he was a good gentleman and, you know, he <laughs> adhered to it. But um, I, you know, in my 
40 odd years of employing people, probably nearer 50 now. Um, I've always tried to promote within, you know what you're getting and you try to help people along their careers. I did speak to Eddie about um, the decision to consider Bradbury and Fletcher. I mean, Lee, because he was nearing the end of his career and I noticed that he'd had a bit of a military background, so I thought he would have been quite strict. Um, and so I thought, and his knowledge, and he played for Man City, and you know he was he was quite a good player, and I thought he would make a good manager. And Fletch, I thought, well, the crowd love him, so appointing him as a, a player assistant, I couldn't go wrong. Um, so I met with them and asked them if they wanted the jobs, and yeah, they they took them and. Um, Lee made some very good signings. Very good signings. Yeah, um, including uh, Steve Cook as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know where it would have gone if he, we would have got to the playoff finals and won it, um, but we didn't. And but in the three in the four years we were there, we had two promotions: one playoff final and eleventh in the league. So we didn't do too bad. I completely agree. Um, it could have been the other way round, though, couldn't it? Because um, did it go through your thought that thoughts that Fletch could have been the number one, Lee Bradbury as number two? Um, of course, Fletch is a legend to this very day, isn't he, at the club? Yeah, uh, loved by yeah. all the fans. Yeah, I mean, I named the stand after him yeah. to his surprise and enjoyment. Um, but I just didn't see Fletch as a manager. Um, great lad, great for the club. You know, um, he still talks to me if I text him and, you know, he still calls me chairman. I think he's lovely lad, but I just didn't, I thought that he's too much of one of the boys to be the manager. No, fair enough. And I guess, of course, Lee Bradbury, with that military background, you know, had everything more in line, I guess, at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was so. I think when I called them both over um, on a Sunday afternoon, I think probably Fletch might have thought that he was going to be offered the manager's job. Yeah. Um, it did slightly show, but I mean, he accepted the assistance and well, and I think I was behind the goal at Peterborough um, and he put in a header and I was so close to where he was and he got up high and he put the ball in the back of the net and I thought his playing days aren't over yet. You know, I, I shouldn't, you know, so he, he soon come away from being the assistant and back playing because he was, he was good. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Picture the scene: all of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good player, I think. And of course he scored, arguably, the most important goal 
ever for the football club. Yeah, that goal against Grimsby. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he, he'll forever be a legend at this football club. Big yeah. Fletch. And, and yeah, right so, rightly so. Lovely man. But, of course, um, Maxim Denham also got involved at the club during your time. Um, what part did you have to play in getting in him eventually taking over? Well, I was building a house for him in Sandbanks, large house, which he bought the land off me. Um, and I got to know him. I got to know his family. We built him a house in France. We built him a couple of houses in St. George's Hill in Surrey. Um, and, you know, I got closer to him, went on a holiday with him a lot. Um, and his family, and we spent quite a lot of time together. And one day he just asked me if, you know, he used to come to all the games. He loved football, or he loves football. Um, and just asked me if he could get involved. And at the time I knew Mostyn wanted to sell his shares. So he ended up buying those. And we worked together for a couple of years. And he contributed to helping with the work that we were doing, you know, financially. And obviously put money into the club to buy players. Are you still friendly with Maxim to this very day? No. No, I've not spoke to him since since he welshed on the deal he did with me, really. So, no, um, I got to know him better towards the end of our relationship. Um, we've never had a crossword, but I wouldn't... Well, I can't really say any more than that. It's I think history now speaks for itself. It's um, the motivation is money. Fair enough. Um, as you did mention earlier on, you did get like to get involved in visiting the players in the changing room. What, what sort of stories do you have from those visits, apart from the Notts County one? Uh, well, I went in probably twice when Eddie was in charge. Um, just really to vent my feelings, not anger, but I don't know, you know, you get emotional at times when football it's, gets to you when you're in a position that you can wander around and do what you want. I suppose the person like me, I did. Um, I went in there a couple of times when Paul Groves and Sean were in charge, um, same thing really got so wound up in the situation they were in um but they did a good job um i know the press weren't on their side from day one and the supporters really weren't either um they were doing a great job at, with the youth teams and that's why i thought they were worth trialing you know and given the job to um and i think they got the players just turning the corner a little bit in the way that they were starting to play football, but they didn't have the luck that came with, you know, being in charge. And to be in charge, you've got to not just manage people, but you've got to make them know that you care. And I think they were too um, strict, I think, in their ways, too religiously readable into, you know, um, things that, the way that they went about their business. <clears throat> but good characters, good football people. 
And as I say, I think they got them playing the right way, but just didn't have the luck that went with it. And there was a story that was brought up in the press against MK Dons. Um, we, we got beat 1-0 that day. Um, and, of course, you visited the changing room. What actually happened? I was in the box watching the game, and at half-time I was going to go down, and I said to Max, I'm going to pop down and see the players on the way in, mm-hmm. um, in the tunnel. And she said, oh, can I come? And she didn't speak that good her English, but I said, yeah, okay. And mm-hmm. She came down, greeted them in, and on the way out from the tunnel, which you walk past the changing room, I just shouted out, come up, cherries, you know, like you do. And yeah. um, she sort of poked her head around the door and said the same sort of thing. Um, and that was it. And we walked up back upstairs, and I didn't think any more of it. But after the game... I came down to where the interview was with, I think it was Lee Bradbury, and Neil Perrett was rabbiting on about what was the team talk about by the, you know, the owner's wife. And I was laid into him anyway, because I didn't think it was right, what he was saying, and certainly what the team talk. <clears throat> and then um, I got phoned when I, on the way home, I, my wife was driving and she got out of the car. My phone rang and it was Radio 5 Live. And the commentators started taking the mickey out of the club by saying, you know, we, you know, women doing team talks and all this, which is a load of rubbish. So I told him and obviously cut me off, air, off the air because I told him in a way that it's natural to me. <laughs> uh, and I ended up getting fined for it by the FA. But I apologise to any youngsters that were listening. No, that's fair enough. Um, of course, after the tough start, start to the season, um, which followed that Huddersfield defeat, you made the change for and went with Paul Groves and, of course, Sean. Um, and was that your call at the time to actually let, Lee and Fletch stepped down and Paul Groves and Sean to take over? Not particularly all my... I mean, Max was very anxious to move Lee to, you know, to one side and mm-hmm. and I think Fletch had moved back into playing then and there was somebody else. <clears throat> and um, Max would phone me up after a game and he'd be talking to me on the phone from, like, I don't know, um, Carlisle. We got to about Birmingham before he put the phone down, you know, um, which was just not good for me. And um, so I mentioned Paul and Sean, who he had met, um, and he said, yeah, let's give them a go. I mentioned it because they were doing so really well with the youth team. And um, I'd known Sean from Dorchester and I knew he's, you know, if you cut him in half, he'd just have football written across him and same with Paul Grove. So I just thought they might be the right people. Um, And as I say, I think they got the players turning the corner a bit in the way that they were playing and approaching the games. They were playing possession football a bit better. Um, But, you know, things like we went to play Swindon and Tucanio kept coming on the pitch and, you know, they weren't in the right way managing material, I don't think. I mean, if it were me, I would have got my players off the pitch because they were playing against 12 people. 
De Canio was on the pitch most of the game. He didn't stay in his box at all. And, you know, things like that I would have done. And I think the port supporters saw the weakness there. And I don't know, they just, the press as well, just rubbished them. And I felt sorry for them, really, because Paul had moved down to the area. When I moved Sean and Paul on, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of talk about other people joining the club as manager. Um, Mostin wanted Steve Cottrell to join. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, out of politeness, I went and gave him an interview, but he certainly wanted for me. Um, and we had an approach from Hoddle and his agent and uh, various people that are quite well known. And um, in the end, most. Uh, I had a phone call from Eddie's agent and I took it and he asked me if I was interested in Eddie coming back and I said possibly yeah and um, he told me what he wanted but I, I don't know whether this was Eddie's the truth or not but I said no way we're not paying that um, and then about a week later I had a phone call from Johnny Ems Oh, yeah. Um, and said, oh, are you interested in Eddie and Jason coming back? And I said, yeah, but not what they want. He said, oh, now I can get them for the right package. Um, and I'd come with them. And I'd known Johnny for um, several months. And he helped me by, you know, help get players in and what have you. And I, I really did um, get on well with him. Mm-hmm. So... We agreed terms with Eddie and um, through John, and we agreed terms with Jason, although Jason's terms were sort of changing every day. Um, and then I chatted with Burnley, and after a lot of to and throwing over the period of about three weeks, we come to a, a deci- you know a decision with them, and we signed them, and the rest is history. They came back to the club and turned it around when you did eventually leave the club what, what was that day like for you um was it a sense of relief or was it a case that you would have loved to have continued well it's hard to say i left the club because i put everything i had into it energy wise my business which as i say I had you know approaching the 30 million pound turnover gone down to next to nothing Mm. Um, so all my energy was into the club and I didn't have the money that Max had and money talks and people were siding with Max more so than me and I was losing my authority um, because of that Mm-hmm. Um, and it became like bees around a honeypot and yes. I felt well you know I'd done what I planned to do I always had it in my mind that I'd like to see the club in a better position and when Harry was there he got to sixth in the championship and I think we were sixth at the time when I left mm-hmm. and I thought well that might be the omen for me um, I couldn't really work like I was because the authority had gone and I you know I had people that I'd brought to the club then 
siding with Max and it became two sides really and because of his wealth um, he won everybody over so I decided it was time to to leave so I mentioned yeah go on what was your relationship like with Jeff Mostyn in particular um, what, during the time at the club? Didn't have one. I tolerated him. Mm. That's fair and enough. I, yeah, I tolerated him. He's, what you see is not what you get. I'm afraid. And with the regards to the fans, Eddie, um, of course, sometimes there was that strained relationship. Um do you feel that the fans couldn't see at the time the passion that you had for the football club and, you know, what it meant to you? Um, well, I think lots of the fans did. Um, you know, I, uh, there was when I went there, there was a, a, a loud minority and a silent majority. And I really had to take on the loud minority. And I think I won a lot of them round and they understood that I was one of them. I was a fan, really. I didn't, you know, I always wanted to do things for the fans. I loved it when I'd come back after closed season and I'd built something or done something and people would say, cool, you know, this is looking good now, Eddie. And, you know, and it just pushed me on. I'd read all the... The slips on the wall ran a north stand and east stand and you know i knew that the club meant to a lot of people you know they were emotionally in love with the club and i respected that and i was in the same situation you know um you know there was me come from a very poor background so to speak and um ending up walking out onto the pitch when there was nobody there and looking at the stadium and thinking christ you know i'm running this club now and i felt so proud mm -hmm. was, you know it bring tears to my eyes on a sunday morning at times you know you just you just like i say it's very spiritual whatever the word is again um you know you just get it under your skin and it's hard to get it off but what disappoints me more than anything since I left is you know there's probably been half a billion plus pounds gone into the club from their promotion and they still don't own a stadium they still don't have a proper training ground although I still consider one that I built adequate um, you know it, it certainly and it's just lined a lot of people's pockets at the top and I just don't think it's right for the fans. And I, you know, I hope I have to eat my words, but I just hope that um, the stadium don't, you know, they don't fall foul of anything disastrous by not having their own stadium. They say they're looking for a new ground and anything else, but I designed a new stadium to go on the ground that they've got there now. And I, I put it online and, I, you know, I was told to take it down. It's a 22,000-seater and it's it could be built in, you know, four seasons, one one end each season. Mm -hmm. um, and you could do it, you know, for probably a year's money from the premiership. So a little bit of saving and a little bit of... Less spending on themselves, there would be 
money to do that. Um, but at the moment, it's I just think it's it's all about going. It's gone back to where it was before, and people just taking money out of the club and not investing it in the club. I mean, I can't knock the players that they bought in. Um, and it's got them back to the Premiership. Can't knock the manager they bought in, but I can knock the big spenders outside of that. Of course, with regards to Dean Corp, um, there's always this theory that we can only extend it up to 15,000 by filling in the corners. Um, but you you thought you could build, you know, on the current ground, get it up to 22, um, yeah, rather I've than building the- New Superdome somewhere. I've got I've got the plans. I've, I've put them online. It's it, you know it's extending it out slightly on the west end, but other than that, it's it's quite um, a modest but nice twenty two thousand seat stadium. And I think with standing maybe coming back in, you'd get more than that in it, and you still got the parking and and so on. You know, I I would. Um, if you know, in well, I can't say if, but that's what I'd like to see. If, you know, that's where I'd like to see the money being spent, not on. You know, I mean, I remember in two thousand and seventeen, I think reading that they'd have a new grand in five years and or four years or whatever. It's just, it's just a load of rubbish. They ain't got anybody there with the balls to get up and do it. I don't think. See, that's what I've always wanted is. You, you look at Southampton, for example, you look at Reading, you look at teams like that, where they build these stadiums on the outskirts, but they don't have the feel of the old ground. No. And, you know, that's what Dean Court is to us. It's, yeah, it's it, the home, it's, right? It's, yeah, it's I mean, yeah, I buried a time capsule there after 100 years had gone. Um, you know, and just it's spiritual and there's no need to move and I'm, I know the landlords from my dealings with them and I know they're reasonable people and they would sell at a reasonable price so they wouldn't give it away it wouldn't be cheap but it wouldn't be you know they wouldn't take the pits uh, and it just needs proper negotiations and you know I, <clears throat> it just just needs somebody to get on and do it but I think they just want to share the money out Bringing it back to Eddie Howe, and of course he left the club for a second time um, after our relegation from the Premier League and that win against Everton. And looking at you know those pictures from that day, he looked like a bit of a heartbroken man. That I think players, some players, let him down. Was you disappointed he went at that point? And are you so surprised he's doing so well at Newcastle? I wasn't surprised he went at that point because I just feel that the same thing was happening around him as it did around me. I think Max Denham is very much his own man and supplying the money. He can tell people what to do and I think he influenced the decision to let Eddie go and... I certainly wouldn't have done it at the time. I knew he's, you know, capable of doing what the new boy's done, getting them back up there. But um, 
nevertheless, he went and he's gone to Newcastle. He's done well. I don't know if he'll do well in football whilst he's got the energy and the desire that he's got and that he had when he was at Bournemouth. He's bound to do well. And he's always educating himself. That's what he... I've watched an interview with him um, from a couple of months back and he's always educating himself. And he was doing that whilst he was at Bournemouth as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, pretty much so. I mean, it's it's not just education, educate yourself. It's working hard at what you do. And I believe that's what he does. He works hard and, you know, he gets the best out of the players, gets the best out of the team. And he's made a lot of people a lot of money. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like I say, uh, and I agree with you, I think he will be... England manager at one point, you know. And yeah, yeah. I'll put money. Well, I might. I am. I might even put some money on it. Yeah, and it'd be yeah. lovely to see, you know, an England manager and maybe even World Cup winner um, who started out at AFC Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. There's there's a few people that have been at the club that um, have really shone. Him being one of them, and um, yeah, it's it's been a pleasure for me anyway to have had the time I spent with them and some of the lovely supporters that you know I just want to say there was one little old guy there that used to come in Sunday mornings didn't get paid for it he'd come in voluntary and I'd go in every Sunday morning and he'd be there sort of seven o'clock sweeping up all the dog ends and everything from outside the front door so that it was nice for Monday morning and um you know, I got to a stage where I used to get in there at seven o'clock with him and help him sweep them up because he was really old and I felt for him. And he used to bring me a box of, um, cho- a packet of chocolate eclairs before every game. His name was Lynn. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, when we were hard up and we after a fans forum, he came up and said, Look, I haven't got much money, but I've got a thousand pounds saved. You can have it towards the club, you know. And I said, no, no, we don't want that, you know. Um, and there's uh, Steve and Tracy that were, Steve was one of the security people there and Tracy was, you know, Bournemouth through and through. And there, there, there was just lots of lovely people like that. Neil Vager, the club secretary, lovely man. Um, so there, there's, I met wonderful people when I was there and I enjoyed and I was proud to be part of the success it was for those four years. There's Privily. nothing you would do differently. No, not a thing. Not a thing. Good stuff. Um, there has been mention of you looking to get back into football. And I know that you were looking at Paul Town and also Hamworthy. Is that still on the agenda, do you think? I'd love to get back into football, but I wouldn't want to travel. So the club would have to be local. And I don't see me ever get involved with Bournemouth again. So <clears throat> Paul Town was a, um, an easy easy bet. And I bought, <coughs> I bought an option to have the majority shares there, but I didn't follow it through because there's no prospect of a ground at the moment. And their lease, I think they've got three years left and on a rolling lease with the school. Um, and I know Chris, he's Reeves, he's um, pulled town through and through. And I've worked with him over, 
since I left Bournemouth and still do, I did some work for him not so long ago for Paul Town by way of drawings and presentations. And um, he's a lovely bloke. Um, and I wish one day that I would get him, could, could get involved and get them a stadium. That would be my only involvement is finding them a home. I mean, although <clears throat> Bournemouth was my club as a youngster, the first football game I actually watched was at Pool Town <clears throat> um, with my older brother as a youngster. And I used to go there every Saturday as a sort of six-year-old. And um, so I've got a, an affection for Paul as well. And, um, yeah, I'd love to get involved at some stage. And they are a good club. And, you know, hopefully one day um, in the not-so-distant future, could they reach the Football League, do you feel, um, if the ground was sorted? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's um, it's got ambitions, but <clears throat> they just need some luck on finding a, a ground. And uh, I've got plans done to present to the council, which I might be putting in shortly to, to try and persuade the council to, to leave, release some land for them. But that's another story and, you know, could be or couldn't be. But I've got plenty of energy and plenty of desire to, to carry on. Well, hopefully, fingers crossed, that will come to fruition because it would be great to see Paul Town um, being successful. Um, had a good couple of years, a few years back, didn't they? Um, yeah. And they yeah. got into the National League South and looked like they were going to push to get promotion from there. But unfortunately, the ground held them back. Yeah, it did. It did, unfortunately. Um it's just one of those things it's you know they really lost their their ground when the speedway got involved and you know there you go um final question eddie um what are you up to now i know i know that you're involved with fty aren't you yeah I, i've a majority shareholder in it and i've got a lot of young lads working for me um we also have got a company called ESA, which builds football products, um, state-of-the-art ones, and we're selling them all around the world at the moment, and it's doing really well. Um, and if anybody's interested in having a look, just Google EliteSkillsArena.com, yeah. and you'll see we've um, we've sold machines to Barcelona, Southampton, Liverpool. Um, and various other clubs, um, and they're used thousands of times a day. So, I mean, I get the usage through every day, and it's always above 2,000. So, there's, you know, we've got probably 500 machines now around the world, um, and it's growing. So, yeah, it's looking good. And, of course, the complex is up at Branksome, isn't it? And it's, it's very impressive when I've been in there. You have, oh, well, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I've been in there. Yeah, I've been in there already. So yeah, it's lovely to see the kids. It's lovely to see the smile on the kids' faces when they come. It's like them going into a sweet shop, you know, and and they just love coming here and kicking a ball. And it's it's good for them, and it's you know, it's good for everybody. Yeah, my daughter yeah. went in there and she was kicking the ball about, and you know, she loved it. So uh, Operation Bronze, I call it. So <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Never yeah, know. well, you, you want to get in there yourself and have a kick about. See well, how strenuous I, it can be. Well, yeah. 
<laughs> I think it might be a little bit too late for me. I don't think I'll be getting the call from Scott Parker and saying, "Yeah, do you fancy? Do you fancy um, position up front?" Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I'll leave that to Dom Solanke and. Um, yeah. yeah. I might yeah. hopefully one day play a charity match with um, Steve Fletcher, but. But yeah, thank you so much for coming That's... on the show, Eddie. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And, you know, thank you for everything you've done for the club. That's like... all right. I, I wish the team and the supporters all the best for the season, for sure. Thank you so much. And like I say, you don't get the credit that you deserve at this club. And, you know, what you did was put us on such a good financial footing and, that's why we are where we are now. If you hadn't done that, um, who knows what where the club could have been. Well, all I did is have some fun. So thanks for inviting me on the show. No problem at all, Eddie. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining me on this special show. Please do remember to hit the like, the subscribe and the bell button below to be alerted to any new videos we do here on Up the Cherries in All Departments. Please also do check out our interviews with Harry Redknapp, Sean Teal. We've had Paul Mitchell. We've had Vince Bartram and many, many more. So please do check those out. Do also check out our recent interviews as well with... AFs TV, um, of course, Arsenal Fan TV. Um, so do check that out. Until the next video, up the cherries, and I'll see you in the next one. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.